Hey everybody, this is Art Alex Hawkins from the band Everclear, and you're listening to my weekly mixtape with Brian Coburn. Take a listen. Welcome to My Weekly Mixtape, a podcast that takes the classic mixtape approach to building a modern playlist. I'm your host, Brian Colburn. One of my favorite aspects of My Weekly Mixtape is speaking with some of the amazing artists whose songs have graced my mixtapes and playlists throughout the years. And I'm excited to continue that tradition on this episode by welcoming tonight's guest, Art Alexakis of Everclear. Art, thank you so much for joining me on My Weekly Mixtape. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for asking me, man. Sounds cool. I used to be a killer mixtape maker back in the day. Well, Art, I'm glad you said that because I start every episode by asking each guest the same question. What does the word mixtape mean to you? Cassettes. Yeah, that's a mixtape. I mean, now it's a playlist. And I still make playlists for my my wife, but back in the day, I'd make mixtapes for people. But that was really before, you know, my life became making music all the time. I just... I don't have the time or the bandwidth to think of stuff like that. I do, though. I make it for my daughter, like my 15-year-old, and even my older eldest daughter, I, I would do that for her as well. Well, that's parenting done right. You think so? Oh, 100%. Anything that I can do to pass any bit of my musical tastes onto my children in the next generation, I feel like we're doing something right. That's right. So I want to start by talking about an album that we're celebrating its 30th anniversary this year, World of Noise. I love the raw aggressiveness that breathes throughout the entire album, and I'm consistently blown away by the fact that it was recorded with a $400 budget. Right. When you listen back to songs like Your Genius Hands and Fire Maple Song, which are my two personal favorites from the album, what does three decades of hindsight and retrospect for you bring to these songs as well as the album as a whole? Well, personally, as songs and even as those master recordings, even though they were recorded seriously lo-fi, I still think they're exciting. I still think they're good songs. They're written by a different guy. They're written by a guy 31 years ago who's grown a lot and been through a lot of different stuff and experimented a lot. And, and, you know, at that time, I had never really been in a real studio. I'd been in, like, some studios, but not with, like, a major label budget behind me that wasn't going to happen for another year or two and when i listen to eugenia's hands i still think that's a great album opener and that was the show starter for years and years and years until so much for the afterglow and now now we start with so much for the afterglow but every now and then we'll break out eugenia's hands for sure and we play fire maple song all the time we i just did a four show run and we did it in two of the shows yeah and Fire Maple Song is also featured on Live at the Whiskey A Go-Go, which is the new live album from the band that is coming out on Friday, September 8th. Yeah. Now, in 1995, the band released its major label debut, Sparkle and Fade, on Columbia Records. And the album produced classics like Heroin Girl, which Patreon playlister Mally Hart chimed in with as her go-to track, Santa Monica, which was the song that introduced me and countless others to the band, You Make Me Feel Like a Whore, and Heart Spark Dollar Sign. Now, on this album, the budget was, I'd say, slightly increased versus the $400 for World of Noise. What was that indie to major label transition like for you? You know, I think I weathered it pretty well. I mean, I had a lot of knowledge. I had a lot of 
from doing a lot of indie stuff over the years and being around other people who had done it wrong, right? Who had signed major labels and just, they got cars and they did this and they did that. And I'm just like, man, you know, that, that's, none of this is real until you make a record that does something. Then it's real. Because if you make a record, well, we're going to make, we have a three record deal. No, you don't. You have one record and two options. You know, it's like these kids didn't, and these kids were my age. They didn't know what they were talking about. And when I signed the Capitol, I read everything. And I made the lawyers sit there with me, my lawyers, their lawyers, everybody. We read, we read through, oh, that's just boilerplate. Well, I'm a guitar player, singer. I don't know what boilerplate is. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, I do, but I don't. Explain to me what this means. You know, I was kind of a D about it, you know, but, but you have to be because it's your, to me, I was 32 years old. It was my one chance. And if I failed because of me, because I didn't write the best songs, and I didn't get the band to perform them well enough or whatever, I could live with that. But because it was someone else, I couldn't live with that. So I was kind of a jerk about it, but, uh, but politely a jerk, you know, but we got it done. We got, you know, our, my career at Capitol Records was millions of records sold, and, and I got to experience the stuff I dreamed about. I mean, my dream was to grow up, play guitar, not, not even sing in a rock and roll band, play guitar and have a house, nice house, not a big house, not be rich. I've never wanted to be rich, and I'm not. <laughs> so look, there you go. Um, and have a family. That was the dream to me because, yeah, remember, I grew up at a housing project, single mom, always worried about money, always. And I just wanted to get one of the best things, signing to the label and having some success, was not having to worry about paying the damn bills. You know? Amen. I mean, that's something everybody can relate to. And it's just like, for a few years there, I didn't have to worry about it. It was wonderful. But I'm digressing. It, it was just making that transition over there with that money behind you. The way I likened it, Brian, was I had a car ready to go, but I didn't really have an engine. Mm -hmm. And the major label provided that with money, expertise, because all the people that work there know what they're doing. If you listen to them, it doesn't mean they know more than you, but they know more than you about what they do. Right. I didn't argue with people about how to do marketing. I would tell them what, how I wanted the marketing and publicity done, and they'd run with it. And we were really blessed to have a great team in the 90s in Capitol under Gary Gersh and, and Perry Watch Russell was my NR guy. So I had a really just, with, for one of a better word, a blessed experience, man. I just, we didn't mean we didn't knock heads. We did. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. And then due to the popularity of Sparkle and Fade, you were able to go back to the studio and record the two times platinum so much for the afterglow, which spawned anthems such as the title track that you mentioned you've opened up every show since, Everything to Everyone, I Will Buy You a New Life, Father of Mine, and Amphetamines, which several of the mixtapers chimed in as one of their personal favorites across the My Weekly Mixtape social media channels. Art, did you know you were turning in a truly special album when you submitted it to the label? It's hard to define the word special. Did I know it was going to sell 3 million records? No. 
But I knew that I was giving them everything that they needed. And they told me that, that you've given us three extremely song singles. You've given us a great record, great artwork, just a vision, and we're going to run with it. And it's funny because there's a story, I don't know if you've heard this story before, but when I went in to make the record in late 96 after Sparkle and Fade, after touring that summer, we went in and we recorded about 15 songs, and I was going to call the record Pure White Evil. <laughs> Go figure. And we recorded some songs up through Christmas, and I wrote some more songs over the holidays. In January, early, late December, early January, I recorded a new song I had written called I Will Buy You a New Life. And we finished that song, and we went in to mix it in January in New York, and I'd used the same mixer, Brian Maloof, who had mixed Sparkle and Fade. And back then, there was no way to get stuff quickly to people except for isdn do you remember ISDN? yes lines? i do yes okay. from radio for sure so we had to get an isdn line from electric lady studios to my anr guy and i played a line for him and he listened to it perry he's he's a british guy and he's like arthur i'm not gonna try to do this accent oh <laughs> um, he goes arthur this is a good album it's not great there's songs on it that could be great, but they're not great. What? And this record is not going to do what you wanted to do. Wow. And it kind of kicked my ass, you know? And I'm grateful to him because that was his job. And my wife at the time had flown out to be with me. And I just like, she went home. And I stayed in New York for two weeks and just walked around kind of like blind and dumb and just walked around kind of in shock for a couple of days. And a movie called Jerry Maguire had just come out. And I went and saw that movie like eight times, right? And there was a song in it I didn't know at the time, but one of my favorite guys in the world, but I couldn't tell who it was, Bruce Springsteen, Secret Garden. Yeah. And that song, for some reason, just hit me really hard. And I went back and I wrote a song called Song from an American Movie. And even though that was gonna be on the next record, I just started writing songs. And I got two notebooks from the drugstore. I got a notebook to write songs in, and I got a, a notebook to make notes on what I was gonna do, like different production things I was gonna do. And some songs were like, just get rid of them. Not gonna make the record. Some songs were like, re-record the drums. Some songs re-record everything. Some songs were like, add keyboard, add some sort of bell-like sound here, do this. I went through everything, two weeks. I stayed there for two weeks, made all these notes, got on a conference call with everybody, my a &R guy, management, all the guys in the band. I'm like, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna go into this studio. I need you to book this studio for this time. I want Andy Wallace to mix it. Please call him, see if he'll mix it, and when he can, what, what his schedule is this and that and this and this. And that was it. And we did all that. I had like this, it looked like the Dead Sea Scrolls. I, <laughs> you know, it was like, this is what we're going to do. And we did all that stuff. And I added some new stuff as time went on. So when I handed that in with the artwork, Perry's like, well, the first song was two punk rock. And even with that, 
Beach Boys intro, I think people are going to think there's no changes. I'm like, look, and here, here, here's a list. Here's a, here's a, here's a, a list of how I, we think the song should go on the record. And I go, oh, great. Can I have that? I go, he goes, you didn't read it. I go, no, I have creative control. This record is the best it can be. Leave it alone. Don't F with it. Leave it alone. And yeah, so I did feel like I was giving them something that was, that had hit all their benchmarks of what they wanted and hit everything inside me creatively for what I wanted. I couldn't make that record any better. And I got to say, that record and the record after it, Songs from American Movie, are two albums that have very little or no cringe factor, meaning you listen back and go, we should have done that differently. I don't have any of that with those records. Not really with a little bit with Sparkle and Fade. And that's like sacrilege to some people, man. Some people are like, <laughs> that's a, leave it alone, that's a masterpiece. I go, it's not. It's my work. I could decide what it is. No. They'll argue with me all day about it. And I love the passion, man. People that have that kind of passion for what you do, how wonderful is that? It's amazing. It's amazing. When people love music, man, that's all that needs to be said. It's love. Now, you mentioned the song just a moment ago, but when you're following up an album like Afterglow, I'm sure you're aware it's no easy feat. But the band did that in what I would call epic fashion, releasing two albums in one year, 2000's Songs from an American Movie Volume 1, Learning How to Smile, along with Volume 2, Good Time for a Bad Attitude. Now, between those two albums, fans retreated to songs like AM Radio, Wonderful, your incredible cover of Van Morrison's Brown Eyed Girl, When It All Goes Wrong Again, which Patreon mixtaper David Owens chimed in with as his go-to track, and Unemployed Boyfriend, which Patreon playlister Cactus Pete chimed in with as his go-to track. Can you talk about the mindset behind releasing two albums in one year versus maybe releasing a Songs from an American Movie double album? Was that you? Was that the label? wasn't the labels at all. They didn't want to do that. Originally, I pitched it to them saying, and pitched it to them. I told them, I'm going to give you a double album. And they're like, as long as it's got two to three singles on it that we can sell, great. And I'm like, I will give you that. I don't write singles, but I'll keep writing songs and recording them till I feel like you have singles. And, you, and then when you agree, we'll move forward. That's fair. I, I don't mind doing that. But I never wrote songs to be singles. That's creepy. That's like trying to produce product instead of making music. Right. And it does become product. That's fine. Once you give it to the label, it's product. But that means when I give it to them, when an artist gives it to them, you got to feel 100% about everything about it, from the artwork, credits, everything on down the line, that you feel like it represents you artistically. And I used to think that rock and roll people that call themselves artists were pretentious. It's not. I was wrong. Creating something from nothing is art. It's maybe not high art. It's probably not Rodin, you know, doing the thinker, you know, mm -hmm. but it's art that has lived for 30, for me, for 30 years plus, and it's still going strong. We're playing to more people. We have more people online. We're getting more downloads than ever. Where there's like a 90s thing going on, but there's also an Everclear resurgence right now. 
That's really interesting considering I'm, you know, 60 years old with gray hair. <laughs> I know people are like, he's bald. <laughs> Not bald, just gray. My father doesn't even refer to it as gray. He just calls it going chrome in car terms. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Now, since I mentioned earlier your cover of Brown Eyed Girl and being a massive fan of cover songs, there's an artist that you have covered not once but twice in your career, and that is my favorite artist of all time, Tom Petty. Right. In 1994, on the You Got Lucky, a tribute to Tom Petty compilation, you released a cover of American Girl, and in 2011, you covered I Won't Back Down for the Return to Santa Monica release, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask... What does Tom Petty's music mean to you as a, as a fellow musician and artist? Well, I've always put Tom Petty on a pedestal. Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, to a lesser degree for me, John Cougar, Mellencamp, Coog, as they call him. These are rock and American rock and roll singer-songwriters. And they all derive from Dylan and, to a certain extent, Van Morrison and, and different people. But what Tom brought was more rock and roll and there was almost like a new wavy punk edge to his early stuff where it was unapologetically rock and roll mm -hmm. it didn't sound like the cool new wave stuff coming out of the uk it didn't sound like the stuff coming out of hollywood 
And it was hugely successful because I believe that good rock and roll, and if you ask me to define Everclear, I've always said it, we're a hard rock and roll band. Call us alternative if you want. If that sells it for you, that's fine. I don't know what we're alternative to when you listen to bands that are truly alternative. We're a rock and roll band. And Tom Petty brought lyrics, an American voice, and just a sense of himself in the world around him, as did Bruce Springsteen before him, you know, and while he was doing it. Yeah, those two guys are very big for me, influential buzz. Well, I want to pivot now to my personal favorite Everclear song, because this show is something that is special to me, and this is a song that might be considered a deeper cut to people, but I've always wanted to ask you about it. And it's the song, The Drama King from 2006's Welcome wow. to the Drama Club. Just hits me to my core. And I'd love to hear the story behind this one because it means so much to me. And you did go deep. I thought you were going to say learning how to smile. Um, <laughs> you, went, you went deep. You know, it's funny. I listened to that album the other day just out of nowhere. It came up in my playlist. And I'm like, I listened to it. Uh, that's a good record. You know, I don't know that in hindsight it should have been an Everclear record. I think it probably should have been a solo record because those songs are really personal. I was going through a divorce. And even though I have 34 years of sobriety and I haven't drank or used drugs for 34 years, in the program, a lot of times we'll say someone's dry drunk, which means they're not using or drinking, but they're not working their program. And they're, they're acting in alcoholic behavior. And I've gone in and out of that over the years. The last four years, my program is strong and wonderful. I've done the steps again. I'm just, I'm doing really well right now. But at the time, I would just started, I got a sponsor again because I went through this breakup and, and emotional issues and stuff like that. So I was really present when I wrote the songs on that record about amends, about my part in it instead of assigning blame to people. So that's an intense, literally intense run. Yes, very much so. To me, it's kind of like you just need to listen to it once or twice and then you're good. <laughs> kind of like Schindler's List. Fantastic movie. Saw it. Don't really feel the need to see it again, you know? <laughs> I probably will every 10, 15. I, no, I think I've watched it again. I watched it with my daughter. And she's like, well, that's wonderful. Man, that's amazing, Daddy. She's crying. She goes, can we never watch that again? I go, absolutely. <laughs> that's my kid. But Drama King is just basically from the perspective of my breakup that I was going through and, and other breakups I've known. A lot of times, things are autobiographical. And this was kind of that, not really 100%. But it was also, a lot of times, I'll make amalgams and and composites of characters that are me from different experiences and put them together. And so a third of my songs are probably autobiographical, 100% like Father of Mine, mm. I'll Buy You a New Life, stuff like that. And then I think another 30% are those, are the composites. And then another 30%, I just write songs. I just write songs. Well, out of all of those songs, if you had to sum up your musical legacy in three Everclear songs, which ones would you choose? I, I don't know. I, um, I, 
Well, definitely Santa Monica. Definitely Santa Monica. But I could do three songs of record. I don't know if I could do three songs <laughs> for the whole career. I could definitely do three songs of record. Uh, Learning How to Smile, I think, is one of my best songs I've ever written or produced. I think that came out. We just started playing that live again. So yes. if you see us in the fall, we get a fall tour with the, the uh, Ataris and Peak Spiders. It's going to be a great tour. It starts in September 6th, and we got a double live album coming out yes. September 8th called Live at the Whiskey A Go-Go. I actually kind of wanted to name it Double Live at the Whiskey A Go-Go because growing up in the 70s and 80s, all the cool bands put out double, double. live record. Yes. So we're out, and we're putting out vinyl, man. It's going to be cool. Super cool. Vinyl, CDs, and electronic. I don't think we're doing cassettes. I hope. I don't think we're doing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's up to the label. But um, let's see. One more song. I'm getting uh, off of Drama Club. I really like a song on that record called Under the Western Stars. Oh, yeah. I was going to name that record Western Stars. That was the working title. You can see it on the tapes that the working title of that record is Western Stars. And then I changed it to, it became so personal. Welcome to the Drama Club was the right name for it. But then Bruce Springsteen came out with a record a few years ago called Western Stars. Coincidence? Totally. It's totally cool. <laughs> Like he's going to take something from me. Um, third song. What would your three songs be? Oh, well, my three going down the list. I'd have to go with Santa Monica, the drama King, because we talked about it. And third, I'm actually going to go with, be careful what you ask for from invisible stars. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's a good one. Yeah, I didn't even think about the later records. I mean, I think there's some great songs on Black is the New Black. Oh, I absolutely love that album. Probably the band's most hard rock album to date. The Man Who Broke His Own Heart really just hits the nail right on the head for me. Yeah, yeah. You, the song You, but mm -hmm. that's so personal. I mean, I've never played that live. That's about me getting raped when I was eight. Pretty 100% autobiographical. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever play it live. Understandably, of course. I don't, you know, it's there. You want to listen to it, listen to it. <laughs> I think the version came out great. Yes. Recorded. But um, yeah, I mean, let me pick a third song. I don't know. Man of Broke His Own Heart is a pretty good song. I'd go with that. One I can definitely agree with. It's hard, man. It's hard to choose between your babies. I don't know if you have kids, but. I do. Two girls. There you go. Which one's your favorite? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry you're breaking up, Art. <laughs> I'm sorry I can't. See? And everybody kind of has a favorite, but you'll never tell. You'll never say it. Never in my lifetime, that's for sure. Art, I know you're pressed for time. I know you've got other interviews to do, so I thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me here tonight on My Weekly Mixtape. See you later. Remember to connect with My Weekly Mixtape on social media at My Weekly Mixtape. You can also head to MyWeeklyMixtape.com to hear all the music we've discussed in tonight's episode via the playlist embedded on the episode page, as well as to check out the full catalog of My Weekly Mixtape episodes. If you want to support the show, please consider becoming a Patreon Mixtaper at Patreon.com forward slash My Weekly Mixtape. That's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Enjoy the tunes.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.